Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that discusses all of the interesting intersections between the law, technology, and highly regulated industry. Today's episode, we are discussing open banking, the opportunities, the state of open banking here in the U.S., and very specifically sort of the very complicated, uh, politicized, and tense regulatory environment that industry participants have to deal with here in the United States. Our guest today is Brian Costello, Vice President of Data Strategy and Strategic Solutions at InvestNet Yodley. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much. Very happy to, to be chatting with you. This is a subject uh, I have a lot of energy around. Well, energy is good. Listeners like energy. Before we really launch into the nerdy details of, of open banking and regulation of open banking, I think it's important. Uh, we've got a really diverse listener crowd here on Tech on Reg. So I want to make sure that we set the stage properly. So when you and I sit and talk about open banking, in your words, why don't you let our listeners know what we mean when we say that? Yeah, ha- happy to. Uh, we're going to get nerdy pretty quick, though. So, I know. Uh, open banking with a small o, small b, uh, essentially means that a, a consumer or a small business has the, the right and the ability to access the financial data or all of their data, really, that their, their financial institutions have about them. They should access it, be able to permission access to it, use that data to, for any legal purpose, and the institution holding that data should have some requirements on, on safeguarding, safeguarding the data. So, so open banking is really one implementation of, of an open data principle, which, which started with government, which says, as citizens, we should be able to uh, know and access all the data that our uh, governmental institutions have about us, use it, correct it, and then the institution has to protect it. And so open banking is applying that principle to, uh, to financial services. So here in the U.S., right, there's no legal requirement essentially stipulating that a financial institution has to make a customer's financial data available to a third party, even if that consumer provides affirmative consent, right? That's correct. In fact, there's there's actually some 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 regulatory friction uh, of uh, around doing that, and and I'm happy to to jump into that right now, uh, sort of maybe to set the stage for. Um, yeah, I mean, like I feel like frick- yeah, sure, I feel like sure. friction is so, a great way. Let's let's start with friction. Let's go. Right, right, right. Well, you know, friction makes uh, heat, and the strongest steel comes from the hottest <laughs> fire. So, so think about the last time you opened a bank account. Um, you you had to sign, you had to read some disclosures, or you were presented with some disclosures, and then you had to answer a few questions. First, you had to answer uh, consent to the bank using your data 
in order to provide you with the services that you had asked for. And you also had to consent to them to be able to use your data for certain legal requirements like anti-money laundering and, and fraud detection and, and Bank Secrecy Act, et cetera. Then you were asked a question by the bank, may we share your data with affiliated third parties who would like to offer you goods and services? And you probably said no, but you might have said yes. The next question is, may we share your data with unaffiliated third parties so that they may offer you goods and services? And you very likely said no. So now in the current consumer because you didn't data, Because you, you didn't want to be sold stuff. Right. You didn't want to. Right. You didn't want to be. You didn't want to be sold to. Right. Exactly. Right. You, you 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 made the determination that these unaffiliated third parties really didn't have anything of interest to you. So now you're carrying on with your your daily life, and you've somebody's told you about this fantastic app that helps you manage your money, or you've decided to buy a new car or a new house, and you're engaging with a responsible lender. And rather than bringing in your shoebox of of bank statements, they have an online process. So you you go through this online process. You entrust you know you link your bank accounts. You entrust your credentials, and the aggregator or the you know the th service provider goes to your bank and says, "We're here on behalf." of Joe Bloggs, and here's the credentials. Please give us this data. So the bank is now in a conundrum because the here bank, comes an the unaffiliated third party. Right. The bank turns around and says, oh, sorry, yeah. our bad. We can't because our customer said we're not allowed to do that. But they don't because they understand what's happening here, and they say they take, they take the path of good customer service and tolerate, and that's an important word, they tolerate this access and they, and they provide the data and they basically say, well, if something really bad happens, we'll, you know, we'll either eat the loss or we'll, we'll make the customer responsible for it. But it puts us in a bad, in, in a bad spot. So this fragmented ecosystem is one of the things that we're, we're, we're trying to address when we talk about open banking. So in, in the UK, open banking, capital O, capital B, is a regulatory-backed regime to do this, to put in traceability and uh, protection on each of the, the types of parties in the ecosystem and put a liability framework on there. So if bad things happen, customers are protected and they're, and they're made whole by the party that was responsible for the harm. That's what we're attempting to do in the U.S., but there's lots of, reg there's lots of headwinds on that. Well, um, so like, let, let's, put, let's put a pin in that for a second because we're definitely going to get back to what the EU is doing that the U.S. is not and kind of like where that tension really stems from. Um, but before we get too far into the weeds, I, for our listeners who may be sort of less familiar uh, with Yodli and kind of like your, your role and Yodli's role in this ecosystem that you just described, could you just, you know, give us sort of a, a high-level overview? Um, tell us about Yodli's role and why sure. you're so passionate about this. Happy to. So Yodli, we're, we're about 20 years old, and we are the global market leader in consumer-permissioned aggregation services. So before open banking initiatives, there was a commercial market to allow consumers to access their data at their financial institutions, permission its use by third parties to receive goods and services. And so we've, for 20 years, have provided that plumbing. So if, if you have used any kind of an application where, you, you know, where you've entrusted your online banking credentials to a third party in order for them to access your, your bank account data to provide you with coaching or if you're using a, a, a registered financial advisor and they're doing, providing good fiduciary advice to you and looking at 
taking a holistic view of your finances, if you've applied for a loan online or any kind of you know other personal finance management, there's a good bet that that we're we're the plumbing behind that. We actually started out as a service provider to to banks who wanted you to be able to see all your accounts in one place. Uh, the idea being that as a consumer, if I can see all my accounts in one place, I can make better financial decisions. So I can see all my all my ins, all my outs, all my spending at McDonald's and Burger King across all my credit cards, debit cards, and I've got a nice pie chart, a nice bar chart showing it. What we've learned over the years is that just seeing your spending isn't helpful. It's actually somewhat depressing. If It's the reason I don't get on the scale in the morning. I see the data. I see how it's trending. I don't know what to do about it. I'm going to stop looking at it. This is important. So I, because, I, oh, back, back when, so back when I think you guys first launched, I was one of those customers who looked at that very sad <laughs> listing yeah. and spreadsheets of all of the ins and outs. So I can, your sentiment is, is resonating with me. Very good. So open banking allow, actually addresses one of these concerns because uh, we're at a really we're at a really important point right now. So we've got regulatory support in, in developing around the globe to harmonize the regulations and to put in place um, very cohesive consumer protections. We've got computing power readily available. We've got algorithms now that can analyze consumers' data. And using their own data, provide very personalized um, advice or decisions. And putting all this together means that as individuals, we can receive essentially bespoke financial services, whether it be advice or product recommendations, based on our own data, based you know not just our financial data, not just our financial behaviors across how we save, spend, borrow, plan, and protect, but our stage in life and our life goals. And we can receive this advice and these engagements in ways that are meaningful to us if we're Gen X or millennial, if we like to play games or if we need nudges, right? We can take behavioral economics. And so this is a great time to do all this. And, and that's what are, Yodley does today. Right. And these we do are all of that today. Yeah. These are things that consumers have already vocally uh, articulated that they want from their FIs, right? Absolutely. Most people don't want to just save money for the sake of saving money. They want to achieve life goals and they they need help. At 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 one end we have very vulnerable consumers who don't uh, who you know who can't weather a can't deal with a $400 unexpected expense without going to credit. They don't know how they're going to save for you know, for a house. They don't know how they're going to plan for retirement. And and we we believe that absent bad behavior on Wall Street the next financial crisis we're going to have is underfunded retirement. And so with our, with our parent company, InvestNet, which is focused on providing tools to uh, registered financial advisors, we are very focused on how do we enable consumers around the globe to prepare for, prepare for retirement. All right. So I, I think we're at, a, we're at a point, right? Like consumers have said they want it. They want this. They want these capabilities. They need they need this type of assistance. As you said, we have the computing power. We have we, we know what it ought to look like. We have the pipes. The pipes are there. And I think that, you know, you and I would certainly agree and I think most commentators would also agree that it's really time for the US to get on board and and participate uh, in the open banking capital O capital B <laughs> to, you know, to to use your jargon. 
But as we mentioned, you know, in the context of open banking in Europe, regulation is driving the market. That's why it's a capital O and that's why it's a capital B. The concern here, small c, is that that sort of center-driven regulation is often met with suspicion by U.S. citizens. Regulation from the center has overtones of socialism, and I'm going to try to keep like 2020 presidential election politics aside for a second. But generally, it's a highly, you know, it's divisive word. It's it's not cultural. And, and attempts at sort of top-down open banking, I think some would argue, would leave many questions in that regard. So in that respect... And because of just the general regulatory framework of the United States generally for financial services, you know, our our state versus uh, federal regulatory regime, which affects all sorts of issues well, well beyond open banking, how do you believe that that sort of adoption is best accomplished in the U.S., given the structure that we have to exist in? Yeah. How long is the podcast? Three hours? Okay, <laughs> we, we, we can we can just scratch the service. Thesis, like so, let's we'll start so we'll start for, we'll start with yeah. the thesis. So 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 first of all, I I I, I respect your opinion. I, I I don't see this as anywhere near uh, uh, socialism. So if 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 we take a, a general definition definition of socialism, saying uh, the oh, means of production open, distribution. So to, be, to, be, to be clear, I don't okay. think open banking is socialism. I think generally people feel that regulation from the center down to drive markets that that conceptually people get people get antsy about it. Uh, so so no, I don't think little o little b open banking uh, is, is a socialist proposition at all. I actually think right. it, it, it right. drives bigger markets and better markets, yeah. but it, but it's the sort of centrist regulation. Yeah. So I think, uh, so if we look at very quickly, if we look at some of the, some of the other um, regimes that are doing an open banking type, uh, type regulation. So the, uh, the UK Open Banking Initiative came out of the Competition Authority on the heels of a study that they did, a very, very detailed study that said it's very difficult for consumers to switch banks, even if they wanted to switch banks. And it's so difficult, and there's so few institutions that this essentially constitutes a monopoly, and we need ways to make this, uh, to make the market more open for the benefit of consumers. Uh, so that we can get actually the, the market forces of competition. And so coming off the heels of that study and looking at what was happening in Europe with the revised payment service regulation, which, which was an uplift to the existing payment service regulation designed to uh, level the playing field for consumer protection across all the member countries, they came up with their open banking initiative and standards, which Excellent intention. Implementation is a little bit a little bit rocky uh, for a number of reasons, and, and we don't have to go into, uh, into that here. But it's it's it, it was designed for a positive end. Um, Australia started with their consumer data right, under which open banking is the first implementation, and then we're going to have telecommunication and energy. For again, very good intention to allow to to ensconce open data principles into the regulations with a with a affirmative consumer or, or citizen right for them to access their data Canada like very similar to, to well it's a bit of a mashup of the two of them they want good comp, they want competition and innovation to flourish with good consumer protection so so if we look at the US if we look at a federal well I, I do I do think I, I'm sorry to interrupt you I do think that 
there are other overtones and other areas that are being regulated in the U.S. Privacy is a good example of that, that conceptually is getting on board with the notion that it, the consumers have rights to their data, what is to be done with it, who is to have it, who should have access to it. You know, the CCPA, California Consumer Privacy Act, is a great example of that in terms of sort of like the philosophical notion that like customers get to decide what happens with their data. Yes, I, I agree. But the headline of every privacy regulation is protection and portability is way down at the bottom. And so if we want to look at, if we want consumer privacy regulations to help us here, it's, it, portability has to be on par with protection. Because if, because if it's not, the data is not portable, then access, having it, uh, allowing access to, to qualified, authorized, properly permissioned third parties is very, very difficult. And that's, that's one of the headwinds that I mentioned in, our, in, in the preamble. So let's, that, I think this is like a perfect segue. Let's talk CFPB for a minute. There's, there's an opportunity there, no, within the yeah. CFPB's, uh, CFPB's authority and, and Dodd-Frank specifically. So here's what we do know is we know that Section 1033 of the Dodd-Frank Act legislates U.S. citizens' uh, access to their financial data. And it has been argued, I think, by several that this is the, this is the part of the law and, you know, other uh, documents that have, and positions that have come out of the CFPB that, quote-unquote, open banking is being encouraged in the context of the central body. But they have not taken the next step. Am I right? Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. So, um, Section 1033 in Dodd Frank says that a covered person. I'll paraphrase. You know, a, a bank shall make available to the consumer upon request information in their control or possession um, concerning the their financial products and services that the consumer um, get you know gets from the bank. So that sounds that's a bit. A, a bit a bit more legally way to say what I said up front we should sure. consumers consumers have a right to access the information their institutions have about them but it's but it's qualified by saying the the ten thirty three says subject to rules prescribed by the bureau and so as of yet the bureau has not exercised their rulemaking authority to really define this you're you're spot on they're they're heavily invested in this and I really applaud the the bureau under the under the the current leadership and the and the and the prior leadership under Director Cordray, they're really really invested in this. Their product project catalyst has been doing really good work to understand and to frame and to consult and cajole and to um, inspire the industry. But they've they haven't made a rule yet, and that lack that the lack of a rule means that other rules, other laws that are already in place have to take priority. Right. And because of that, like Reg E, uh, which makes banks accountable for, you know, among other things, makes banks accountable for losses, um, is what's color, coloring the, the innovation and the access to tools and services that depend on the consumer's data. So do you have any thoughts about why that hasn't come to be yet? I mean, I have probably a few thoughts, but I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious to know um, what you think the why is behind why they have not yet exercised their rulemaking authority that is, that they clearly have. So it's, it's primarily because I know it's a, a tough a one. Very complex. It's a, t- it's well, a it's, tough one. <laughs> it, it's a complex, it's a complex issue. 
and there are very passionate uh, stakeholders on many sides of it, right? So let's so let's let's, let's play out the, let's play out a typical conversation that happens um, uh, happens in um, uh, state capitals and, and 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 on the hill. And by the way, on these conversations happened happen on Parliament Hill in Canada and and uh, in, in Westminster in uh, the UK. So so. We make a law that says consumers can access their data at the bank, and the bank has to make it available to them in an electronic format, which is essentially what I'm saying. Okay, what electronic format? What is the total non-standardized one that, that nobody has because nobody's data looks right, the same? Right, right. So if, we're going to, so if we're going to prescribe a standard, if the government's going to prescribe a standard, industry is going to throw up their hands and say, you got to be kidding me, right? Where's the innovation in that? What about the existing market that's going on? You've got, you've got the incumbents on the financial institution side who, who have other factors that they have to consider in terms of um, you know, uh, return to their shareholders in, term to, in terms of how, how do they compete in a market where you've got less re unregulated or less regulated um, competitors. I mean, all, all of these things come, come to Washington when the CFPB is thinking about making a rule. And then you've got right. the other credentials, right? The other credentials are saying, well, wait a minute, if you're going to make a rule and we have to, we have to put in place an authorization scheme, Bigger than the one we already have. There, you know, a lot, what a lot of people don't know is there's already um, the ability for the federal banking regulators to examine large-scale uh, technical service providers in the market. In fact, Yodley is is examined by the federal banking agencies under the Bank Services Act, but that's because we provide a lot of services to the banks. The right. small, the, the small, the small fries. No, and in fact, the OCC floated an idea to do this, and the the state the state Everyone supervisors freaked out. went to court. Right, everybody right. freaked out. <laughs> everybody so, freaked so, out. So the, so the CFPB is 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 looking to not disrupt an already fragmented market, and and using their using not their rulemaking authority yet, but using their position and their um, their influence to to try to get all the stakeholders, if, if not singing in total unison, at least not. Um, uh, you know, not a cacophony. Uh, took me a second there to continue that metaphor. Not a cacophony, <laughs> and and so if you look at their guidelines that they published on uh, principles for consumer permission data or consumer data sharing, I mean that was a great step. That was a great step, and it was right. very similar to what a lot of a lot of uh, stakeholders worked on with um, Center for Financial uh, uh, CFSI, which is now the Financial Health Network, which is uh, agreeing on principles for enablement and consumer protection. But rulemaking is necessary. Uh, we need in this country an but affirmative some, right. Right, there are some necessary initial. There are some necessary yeah. initial steps that need that need to happen, uh, including, I guess, the CFPB getting the comfort level that, as you say, the stakeholders, industry participants, large and small, are going to be comfortable enough. Right, no one's ever going to be a hundred percent comfortable. That's nonsense. That's not possible, but comfortable enough uh, that they feel as though they can exercise their rulemaking and that Sabrifo won't be a, a giant disaster and, and to move things along. Right. And that, and that lawsuits and stays and injunctions aren't filed immediately upon, upon that. So. Oh, well, has that ever stopped a federal regulator from issuing a rule before? Well, 
we, we can have a conversation I, I, about political, to, about political You don't actually have to answer budget. that. <laughs> yeah, you don't actually have to answer that. I think anyone who can uh, access yeah. Pacer, access Pacer knows the, knows the answer to that yeah. question. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So is, is perhaps the answer sort of like an industry consortium model first? Do we just need to get everyone in a big room with, with you know, endless cocktails and say, guys, we have to figure this out or the government is not going to do it. And uh, all of our customers are going to be really pissed off. Well, I think that's, that's part of the solution. And, and indeed, industry has already risen to that, uh, to that need. So the Financial Data Exchange is a relatively new organization, but the members of it have been working in this direction since mm, 20, 2012. I think it's yeah, and that's that's yeah. I think of big big banks, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells, along with other data aggregators and fintechs, right? So, yeah, so F- FDX is an industry, industry consortium made up of of uh, financial institutions, the the country's biggest uh, data aggregators, what we call permission parties, or sort of you know quasi financial institutions, and and the third party providers, the folks that are engaging with consumers and small businesses to develop a royalty-free interoperability standard for the, for the safe exchange of consumer permission data. And it's modeled on the special interest group, uh, well, model, uh, similar to, say, Bluetooth. So if you think about, think about Bluetooth, you know if you see the Bluetooth logo you know, on your car, on a headset, on your music player, it's going to be interoperable with anything else right. that has Bluetooth on it. We want, we want to... We want to come up with a set of data exchange protocols, APIs is the, is the term of art, um, and uh, so that financial institutions of all size can make the data available to, uh, to the third parties, and those third parties could be aggregators like Yodli, which then, which then service smaller, you know, smaller uh, clients, fintechs or other banks. Or in some cases, there are some technology companies that might consume directly, like Facebook and Google might want to, you know, not use an aggregator and go direct. And we also want to come up with a, an, auth- uh, an authorization scheme that doesn't require the end user to entrust their online banking credentials to a third party. We, we shouldn't be in this situation today. Um, we are because of a few missteps that happened about a decade ago um, around uh, improving authentication in online banking. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to dwell on that because we, we've got to deal with what we have today. Sure. But if we can, we'll solve those problems, uh, those challenges, so we have a more reliable exchange of data and consumers don't have to entrust their online banking credentials, that goes a long way to helping policymakers and regulators feel better about putting rules in the system because these rules are not just for leveling the playing field for competition and innovation and allowing innovation to flourish, but it's for consumer protection. And you can't have, you can't have wholesome consumer protection unless you've got a liability framework based on very good uh, traceability and prescriptive standards. So here's so here's a question. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go I was going to say here here's a question I have from kind of a practical nature. I I hear and by the way I'm 150% on board with everything you just said. In preparation for our chat today, um, I was reading reading a lot, looking at sort of lots of industry common. Uh, commentary on, you know, the state of the state of open banking in the US, where the regulations need to go. 
Um, and then some sort of market observations as well. And, you know, a friend of the Provoke family, uh, Ron Shevlin, had written uh, an article for, I think it was Forbes not too long ago, uh, and made sort of an interesting observation that I'm super curious to get your reaction to. So Ron says, Ron wrote that many people like to say that data is the new oil. And in his words, is oil quote, a resource easily and freely shared between those who have it and those who want it? Of course not. So why should we and would we have data be easily and freely shared in this context? Yeah. So I have a lot of respect for Ron. Um, I don't think that, I, I, and we hear this all the time, that, you know, that is the new oil. I, I think a more apt comparison is that uh, data is, is uh, the new air. Right. As consumers, we generate data about ourselves and about our behaviors with, on everything that we do. And so being able to use that data for our, for, you know, our, our own purposes, to share that data with the third parties that we've chosen the best, you know, that we've decided are best suited to help us achieve positive outcomes financial outcomes, health outcomes, lifestyle outcomes, entertainment outcomes, is absolutely essential. I, th I think this is more a, a human rights issue than it is protecting a supply chain or a sectoral privacy issue. And that's why I, I as you know, Brian speaking for Brian, am v very much behind the notion of a federal privacy regulation, almost a constitutional right to privacy, not that I think we need an amendment, um, <laughs> but a federal privacy right, wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, a federal well, privacy every, regulation. But everyone in Washington... Everyone in Washington is getting along so well right now. It would be super easy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. And then, of course, we go to the states uh, if we're going to do if we get it get it ratified. But you know, we need to uh, we need to do what some other countries have done, which has which has said that almost at a human rights level, we have the right to have the data to control the data about us to use the data about us and to hold our th hold third parties accountable for for adhering to and respecting that you know adhering to the requirements of using our data and respecting our rights over the data and and well, we, I think, we try to do I that in, fed in in banking we try to do it in healthcare but we we need it we need it across the board so i think you're 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 about to launch into this, but I'm going to ask this question. And I, I, this is one of my favorite questions to ask guests. So pretend it is uh, we're suspending time, we're suspending reality. You, Brian Costello, have just been named director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Congratulations! You have you now have the authority to sort of dictate strategy and rulemaking priority under 1033 of Dodd Frank about open banking. What type of solution do you architect? Yeah, so I think 1033. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you say congratulations or condolences? Oh, uh, anyway, you <laughs> under 1033. See, I mean, uh, it's it's a theoretical congratulations. <laughs> I know. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. So, so I I would put a, I would put the bureau on a path to make to making a rule that not much more narrowly as as it's currently defined under 1033. So, ensconces in the Federal Register the, 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 the affirmative right for consumers to access and permission access to the data that their financial institutions have about them. And as part of doing that, I would 
move move the appropriate levers to get a review of the existing regulations like like Reg E that reasonably interfere with that to har to get to get the regulations harmonized so that banks feel less um, they feel less risk uh, in doing this. Um, I would also. I would also request that the FFIC, the Federal Financial uh, Information Examination Council IT subcommittee, get involved in the work that um, FDX is doing, that Open Ideas uh, uh, Foundation is doing around these various uh, standards for consumer permission data exchange to come up with, um, and probably NIST would have to get involved, to come up with the guidelines for operating these type standards. Not to prescribe something, that's not what these organizations do, but to come up with the guidelines so that we have, a, we have basically the, the bumpers in the gutters so that we can, we can play the game but know that we've, you know, know where our, our boundaries are. That, that's how I would approach it. Well, it sounds like you have given this a great deal of thought. You'd make an excellent director. And I really appreciate you spending time with me this afternoon getting nerdy about open banking. It's, it's absolutely my pleasure. If, if we can solve this problem more, uh, more fully, we are going to um, have more financially healthy consumers, which makes for more financially healthy families and communities and ultimately serves public policy issues like access to housing, access to education, keeping folks off the welfare rolls, optimizing fixed incomes for our veterans and for our seniors. This is absolutely essential, and it's good work that needs to be done. So thank you for the opportunity. No problem. Thank you so much for being on with us, Brian. Keep strategizing and creating solutions over at Yodley. Really appreciate your time and can't wait to have you back. Thank you. Have a good one. <laughs>